1: for 50% off, visit com slash Talk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today.
0: Gary O'Reilly, and I'm Chuck Nice, and this is Playing, playing With, with science. science. Today we glide with effortless grace whilst dazzling you with a double or maybe even a triple. We will most certainly Salco and most definitely do it all whilst on the edge. I think it's Chow, isn't it? No, Salco. Salco? Oh, really? Yep. Well, no, okay. Welcome to the English language.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that ain't English, believe me. Uh, <laughs> enough. And for those of you who don't quite get figure skating as an Olympic sport, get out of here. You know you love it. You watch it all the time. It's got the highest ratings. Gymnastics went on a date with ballet and ended up in the ice rink, and
0: you know you love it. <laughs> to make sure we nail this, once again, we have our good friend, Professor Eric Goff, who is going to break down the science. And with us throughout the show, along with the good professor, we have figure skating analyst Jackie Wong who will no doubt be marking both Chuck and I on our performance, and there is absolutely no hope of either you and I meddling.
1: Oh, that is for sure. Mm -hmm. And to give us an unrivaled performance POV, we have three-time world championship medalist, former Team USA figure skater,
0: Sasha Cohen. Yeah. That's going to be awesome. That is going to be incredible. Right. Welcome to The Good Professor. We will have you on board for quite a large part of this show and in the studio with us. Jackie Wong, look. Happy to be here. Yeah, the name of your podcast once again, so as everybody knows up front, please. Ice Talk. Ice Talk. Ice Network. Ice Talk. Cool. Yes, yeah. it's, it's a it's little bit similar.
1: Ice Talk. Exactly. Ah, very cool. Very cool. And uh, it's uh, so I would assume that you have a very rabid fan base because what I know about people who like figure skating is that they are some of the most passionate fans that you will ever encounter in your life. I mean, it's
2: totally true, but it's also true that Patriots fans are a little bit.
0: If I had to pinpoint the one standout feature of a figure skater, where would you go? Would it be, they've got to be unbelievably graceful, strong, or is there there one component, one component for you that screams top class?
2: It's not something that you really see uh, physically, but it's core strength. Everything is about core strength with yeah. figure skating. Uh, when, you're, when you're jumping in the air and you're landing jumps at, you know, whatever, 8 to 10 times your, your body weight mm-hmm. and, and pressure, like you really have to be stable and you really have to figure out how you don't collapse when, when you land those jumps. And it's the same thing with the spins. You can't spin at the rate of revolution that, that we do without being actually very strong there.
0: Eric, this is perfect timing for you. What sort of forces, male or female figure skater, once they start to perform, what sort of forces are they ex- exposed to in terms of takeoff, spinning, landing, et cetera?
3: Well, they're certainly having to get off the ice with a couple times their weight, uh if they're going to execute some spins uh keep in mind the uh the great athletes in the NBA who go up and we get dazzled by a 360 spin dunk uh-huh. uh these ice skaters are going up spinning 2 3 and even 4 times and they're landing on a little blade on some slippery ice they're not you know landing mm-hmm. on a nice uh, hard court floor so uh, the athleticism is incredible, and I, I definitely agree with Jackie. You're talking about a lot of core strength involved in executing these techniques. So I uh, think,
0: Chuck, what we've just learned is, under no circumstances from now on do we applaud LeBron James. That's it, LeBron James. Uh,
1: seriously, try out with some skates on, buddy. Yeah. See what see what happens. Yeah. All right, there and you we go. We just might. We
0: just might applaud. Uh, okay, Jackie. What else? I mean, I, I look at I look at figure skaters, and I think. They must be fearless. I don't want to walk on the ice, right? This is just me, my inner coward has spoken, let alone start to skate, build up speed, and then perform a whole routine of twists, triples, and doubles, and then even begin to think about landing without falling on my backside. Yeah, it's
2: fearlessness is certainly a characteristic. I mean, it's it's not you don't you don't get the kind of downhill skiing kind of fearlessness, right? Yeah. It's a different kind of uh, exposure to danger that you have with figure skating because you've got sharp things on your feet, mm-hmm. you've got uh, a, a surface that you're landing on that is completely um, you know. Harsh, right? It's it's the hardest thing that you can land on um, in in terms of sports, the ice. Right. And you know, you any any kind of slip of an edge or or just um, any kind of accident, you you've got you've got problems. So, with
1: that in mind, two things. One, so in gymnastics, you practice with a harness because when you're flipping, if you miss your flip, you you don't want to hit the, and it's a mat that you're falling on, yeah. a nice little pad. But they still put a harness on you. I would imagine you can't do that when you are learning these maneuvers in ice skating, or do
2: you? So there is there are harnesses that you train on, oh. and uh, especially when you are training a new jump, especially when you're going one revolution up, right? Like if you're if you're used to doing double jumps, and it's the first time you've ever done a triple jump,
1: you're usually on a harness. And how does that work? Are you on a trampoline? Or are you still on the ice? On the ice. Oh wow! So,
2: uh, what? What happens is there there are two there are two types of harnesses that are generally used. One is a harness that is kind of um, uh, connected to a a wire um, that's like on 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 the ceiling, like on a track.
1: Yeah, on a track, yeah.
2: and yeah. and the coach will basically be be the other side of the lever. Right or the, you have
0: the have a great relationship right. with your coach. Yeah, yeah. you don't really, piss really have coach. to have a great relationship <laughs> with your yeah, coach for tell that. One. About it,
2: and you're you're literally in this thing. And the idea is that you're not supposed. The coach isn't pulling you up so much as they are spotting you. Spotting you. Yeah. So if you if something goes wrong, you the coach kind of keeps you from you know hitting your head on the ice.
0: Everything is ice related. Then you you don't just start to take all of this performance routine, rehearse it in a, a nice, comfortable environment, every so once so every time you perform in competition, mm-hmm. you have been performing on ice and training on ice all of the time, so it's reinforcing that, yeah, that- it's time do you
1: spend on the ice? As Gary said, everything is on the ice.
0: so let's say um
1: let's say I just want to know I want to do a double i want to learn a double toe loop. Yeah. How much time would I have to be on the ice? and first before you answer that, walk us through what a double toe loop is, and then how much time would I have to spend on the ice to learn how to do that?
2: So without getting too technical, the, a double toe loop is a jump where you uh, pick off your, uh, your free leg, so not your landing leg. So if, if, you're, right. if you rotate counterclockwise, which most skaters do, you mm-hmm. land on your right foot. So you, uh, for, for those skaters, you pick off of your left toe pick and you go up in the air and you spin. The so pick is the
0: serrated edge. Right. Of the
1: that is correct. Yeah.
0: Okay. Sorry. And but when continue. you say
1: pick off, it's when you see them. They're skating backwards, and then you see them pull that leg up, and it looks like they're almost hacking the ice with the with the front of the skate. Yeah. And that's a t- that's a pick off. That's is that that means pick off?
2: Pick off, pick in. It depends on who you talk to, but okay. There you um, go. Go. Yeah. So it's it's you you take off from hitting the toe pick on the ice and generating that uh, that force to go up in the air. And, um, and there's, there's certain kinds of other physics of like your legs swinging and your, your body being in the right. Oh, we'll get know, to those. Yeah. Don't worry about uh, that. that. The good that, professor is I waiting, will, ready to go on that one. I will, I will not be talking too much about physics, but the, um, uh, the, then after you pick off the, that topic, you rotate Twice around and then you land on the right foot, your key. landing foot. Wow. The
0: axis of rotation is head through to... Correct. Yeah.
1: Okay. That's pretty wild. Well... So so how long would it take to, yeah, how much right, time would care. I spend I'm... on the ice to do something like that? It's yeah. in hours. It's very, de- <laughs> it's very
2: dependent. I mean, it, I, I would not say I was the most talented figure skater in the world, but it took me probably a year of training to get to a double jump.
1: Oh my God. (laughs) You may have missed your chance. Oh man. (laughs) And Okay, and and now that that we're there, how much weight would I have to lose in order to pull this off? No, (laughs) I'm joking. (laughs) Oh Mm. my God, a year? Yeah. That's insane.
2: You have to you have to get all the basics first. You have to figure out how to actually move on the ice. You have to actually figure out how to jump on the ice, right. and and those. And you take guys
1: consider that like a basic move, right? It is. Yeah, that's like a basic move. A year of your life Day to one learn stuff. one basic
0: move. Day one stuff. Oh
2: man! <laughs> I mean, you. you You'll see some of the the more uh, talented figure skaters will you know they'll they'll be four years old and and
0: you know within a couple of months they'll get a double jump. Right, yeah, keep, you know. you're crushing him, <laughs> absolutely crushing yeah. him with the with the. You'll see four year olds. <laughs> so let's get to the professor.
1: Let me just professor, say now.
0: Um, I'm hanging
1: up my sequin tights.
0: Yeah, well, not not just yet. Any more show to go, now.
3: Well, let uh, me pick up a couple points real quick. Please um, do,
0: please do double toe so, loop and then and pick up from there and wherever you want.
3: So, you know, Jackie had mentioned that the training methods, um, I've seen some of the, the British divers, uh, when they train, they can go into a nice padded, uh, gymnastics facility and they actually have a diving board in there and they can practice leaping from the board. So as long as you're over, uh, you know, liquid water and you're, Main uh, ex- experience in the Olympics is what you're doing above the water, then you can do that in a nice, warm, cozy facility. But of course, with ice, uh, th- there is no way to simulate that. You just have to get out on the ice and do your training out there. Um, so, as far as taking a year to do the training, too, I mean, I think, Gary, you could probably tell Chuck how long it takes to hit a nice 30-yard cross into the box, uh, 30 yards, <laughs> you know, with a nice bend on it with a soccer ball. I mean, you know, those types of things take a long, long time to, to perfect.
0: It's it's how uh, much time you have. It's yeah. how it, I got 10 minutes. Okay. The, there's, there's got to be an equation, Professor, and I am not the one to, to, to push that forward apart from suggest that there is. The... Amount of natural ability you have, and we are still talking about figure skating here, plus the amount of time you have, plus the dedication and the amount therein, the coefficient of dedication. Mm -hmm. Well, I've just invented something. Well done, mate. I like it. Yes, thank you. And and you add all of that together, and then you get an an idea of how much time it takes. Because some guys, as you say, this four-year-old who's just absolutely natural, or this other person who gets their... Because they work their way through it, and they dedicate, and they have this other thing going on. There's
2: a there, there's a revolution of of um, of offline ice training that has changed quite a bit over the last you know, a couple of decades where, um, you do a lot more off ice training and it's not literally just, you know, you just do jumps on the ice. There's, um, there are kind of these machines that you'll see, like if you Google Murai Nagasu, for example, she's got a video that, that somebody did of her, uh, where you see her training the triple axel off ice and it's literally her, uh on this kind of uh lazy susan kind of yes. thing where uh, you get you get the 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 uh the harness to rotate in such a way that when she jumps she's literally just pulling in and doing the rotations so the the there's there's a there are different methods of training now that have made Things like all these quads that the, the guys are doing, um, the triple axles that the women are, are starting to attempt more now, that makes those things much more possible. A
0: quad being four times around. Four on, times, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, okay, Professor, Chuck wants to do a double toe loop. Okay. Um, let's go through some of the physics involved in that and then we'll go for the big stuff. We'll go from double toe loop to a quad. And then break down the physics and the forces and everything else that takes place within executing that kind of uh, what do we call it? routine program
3: program program. yeah. Thank you. So Jackie's exactly right about the uh, you know the, the the new training techniques. It's it's a lot of things you can do uh, off the ice, but of course, if you're going to train to do the the actual jump, you really have to perfect how you get off the ice, and you absolutely want to be able to do it right. After you're off the ice, so that the core strength, the training on how to pull the arms in the rotation feel, uh, learning to prevent a little bit of dizziness with focusing on certain points and all those things are could be done off the ice. But uh, unlike a, a, a diver, you really have to perfect that launch off the ice.
1: So talk about and, talk about the actual physics there, sure. Eric, uh, when, when you talk about launching off the ice, what are the physics involved there? When you talk about pulling your arms in and rotation, why and and what are the physics there?
3: So the rotation part is a—it's a, just a classic angular momentum conservation example. Uh, as long as we don't have any torques acting, and you get a little bit of frictional torque from the ice. But you'll notice when a skater goes into the final you know, massive fast spin, uh, what the skater will do is have the arms completely out, perhaps even one leg out, trying to get uh, his or her mass as far from that axis of rotation as possible. And then right whenever the turn is initiated, bringing everything in as tightly as possible so that the mass is confined to the axis of rotation as close as possible. And that causes the skater to spin even faster. And you can try this at home. If you have a nice swivel chair uh, or if you're at work and maybe your heart's game isn't working on your computer and you need to kill time another way, you got your swivel chair, you get a couple of books in your hand and you hold them outstretched and you get a good spin going on your chair, then pull them in real tight. And with your feet off the ground, of course, um, and you're gonna notice, you're gonna speed up when you pull those arms in. It's a fantastic feeling if you've never experienced it. Ah. If you're over forty, watch out for dizziness. <laughs> you don't want to fall out of your chair, but it's it's a it's a fun feeling. Well, thank so, God I'm a few days from forty. You are in a child. I'm about to
1: do this right now, and just, that's
3: right. what a scientist is: It's um, a child asking <clears throat> questions. Well, so. I'm just well, you, I got
1: the, the child biggest, part down pat. Two of the biggest kids in the world. Here we go. Here. <laughs> All right, so here we go, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna take my arms. I'm gonna give a spin. I'm going to uh, take my arms. I'm going to give a spin, and okay, then we're going to see what you happens. you got to mark this. All right, and Jackie, I want you to judge uh, how good this is. Okay, here we go, and... There, you sped up. Can you I see? did. Yeah. <laughs> did. It
0: actually works. No, let me so... tell you how you Wait, have to jump. let's do it again. Let's do it now. Let's not.
3: Let's not. Do it during the break.
0: During the break. Um, sorry, Professor.
3: Go ahead. Well, let me tell you how you're going to have to jump. So, if you're going to get in the air, and you're going to do, say, a quad, now you know, the men are the ones that can do this first because they've got the stronger legs. So if you're going to do a quad, if you're going to spend four times in the air, you're going to need to jump really high. You're going to need to get three to four feet off the ice, your center mass elevated by that much, which means jumping between 10 and 11 miles an hour off the ice. Wow. You need to be in the air between five, six, and a full second. So your, your launch speeds here have to be, you know, in that 10 mile an hour range and to spin four times, you know, you're talking four hertz or four, you know, rotations per second. Uh, this is getting, you know, maybe about half the rotation rate of a football that's thrown a nice tight spiral. So you're gonna have to be able to elevate, you know, get a hang time comparable to what an NBA player could do if you're gonna execute four of those spins. Wow.
0: See, the thing is in gymnastics on the floor routine, the floor is itself is sprung, right. I mean, I'm, I'm exactly. I'm no expert, but I'm guessing you can't get a sprung. You're not ice. getting any spring off spring. Of the ice. No. So, how much more effort, Professor, does it take to push down into the ice to get that up, or is it all done through the speed of the skater?
3: Well, notice right before they go into these big spins, they get a little bit of speed going before they execute the spin, and then there's kind of a pound off the ice to really get that impulse off the ice vertically upward. So when they get launched off that ice, you know, at ten miles an hour, they have to get those rotations in before they come back down. They got to keep their arms in tight. And that's another thing. If they keep their arms in tight, they keep their legs in tight, that's going to enhance their spin rate. If their arms are out too far, they're going to spin slower, as Chuck just showed us in the chair.
1: And Jackie, do they get judged on that? They get judged on air position. On air position. Yeah. If so if yeah. if,
2: if the Axis of rotation is is completely off. That is something that you would, uh, you may get a, uh, a deduction, execution grade less on. So you, that's that's how they judge
0: the elements. Can you imagine I'd be thrilled to bits with just one rotation. Right, you've done you've done a quad, but you haven't quite got it in the position that the judges want, and they mark you down. Yeah, that
1: must be really hard. Has work. there has there ever been a skater who just got poor marks and stood up and go really? Let me see you do that. Huh? You're so damn hot with you judging. Well, let me see you do it. Hey, the ice is right there, buddy. The ice is right there. John McEnroe. Could you (laughs) imagine? (laughs) Uh, The the McEnroe (laughs) of skaters. The McEnroe of skaters. Hot mics backstage, right? That's
2: what we need.
0: Sure. Hot mics backstage. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. With that thought, (laughs) we're going to take a break. Um, John McEnroe on ice. Yeah, we're going to probably need to lie down and consider that fully. Right. uh, We're going to come back. The good professor, Eric Goff, and, of course, Jackie Wong, the freakish skating expert and analyst, will be with us for our second part. Don't go away. Plenty more to come.
1: PXG.com slash StarTalk, code StarTalk.
0: Welcome back. I'm Gary O'Reilly. And I'm Chuck Dice. And this, of course, he's playing and with, with science. science. And today, we're unraveling the physics involved in the elegance of figure skating, which is also known as ballet on ice. And having seen Chuck execute the most immaculate turn, you can see... Why, wow. yes, yes, I, with am, us in,
1: I on. am a picture of grace and, and poise.
0: Isn't that he just? Yes. Uh-huh. And with us in the studio, we have figure skating analyst Jackie Wong, host of the podcast Ice Talk. Yeah. Yes, Ice Talk. So remember that one and via Skype. We have the good professor Eric Goff, the author of Gold Medal Physics. You'll remember it was a stocking stuffer back end of last year. And, uh, and still is. It still is. And the book for all sports fans who love their science. Yeah.
1: This is a really fascinating uh, topic because um, uh, the figure skating is the most-watched event of the Winter Olympics. There's nothing that gets higher ratings, so clearly it is extremely popular. What do you think makes for this popularity, uh, Jackie? I think partially it's
2: it's the dramatics of it all. It's all the 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 kind of histrionics of figure skating, of having music, having programs, and then the fact that uh, you know, when you're when you're a figure skater, you're really expected to be uh, a sort of a sign of perfection. So you know, one little slip up, and it's like, oh no, you you got something wrong, and you have you forget how really incredibly difficult this stuff is to do. And and you know, I think I think the the uh, the intrigue of it is that you can you see these skaters doing these you know, you would think physically impossible feats, but they do them in such a way that
0: it just seems like they're, they're just, you know, skating around casually. How many people like Chuck and I are sitting there thinking, I'm tuned in because I want to see you fall over? And how many people are tuned in because they want to see you execute the most immaculate
1: program i think it depends on those rabbit fans you were talking about earlier yeah Ooh. yeah i think you know it's like nascar there are some people who definitely watch for the crashes oh yeah and, you know that's all there is to it there's <laughs> oh. got to be that
2: i mean there, there are youtube videos online that are all yeah. about figure skating falls so yeah
1: so uh speaking of crashes i saw a video and i'm just want to ask you if it's real this is uh an aside where there was a um ice dancing doubles and um one of them got cut with a skate is that? Is oh, that... it happens a lot.
2: Oh, really? Yeah, just yeah. Watching,
0: just Blades of Glory. They're just watching
3: the film. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's on YouTube. That's decapitation there. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a
2: different kind of cutting, but yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, figure skating accidents happen all the time, especially when you're uh, an ice dancer and pair skating where you're,
0: the two people are so close to each other. Yeah. Um, and, and then the degree, degree, can I say this? Yes, I can. Degree of difficulty yeah. of the program has to have some sort of m- dynamic movement, and obviously, if you're going upside down, that means the skates are coming closer to your face. Yeah,
2: totally. And uh, you you even see that in practice because there are, you know, uh, when you're when you're actually training, you're training with five to ten to fifteen skaters, and you know, one one little slip up, and you crash into somebody else, and oh. you're done. All
0: right, well, well, now we're on the subject of the skates themselves. Please, please explain, and then we'll get the professor to break down the physics behind the skate itself because it's not a single blade is it
2: it's a it's it's two edges on a blade oh, okay. so mm-hmm. if you if you uh turn the blade upside down you literally see two kind of knives and then there's this kind
1: of u-shaped so it's, um, it's two like razors with a trough in, exactly, in the middle exactly yeah okay. and that's called the rocker that's called the rocker. That little yeah. trough in the middle. Exactly. Okay. okay yeah. And is that so that you can turn either left or right and get a blade on the ice either way, or does that speed you up? What's the purpose of that?
2: Well, it's it's to allow you to have a uh, an inside edge and an outside edge, okay. um, without uh, without it be literally just being one eight, one mm-hmm. blade that 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 goes on the ice. And it's it's about an, a bad a three of an inch thick, so. Um, it's it's not it's pretty hefty, uh, but it's not that hefty.
0: Yeah, so, Professor. With with the double-edged blade, what are we working with in terms of the physics with a, as an inside and an outside edge? And can I shave with it? Yes. Yeah, you probably could.
3: <laughs> well, I don't know about shaving, but you uh, certainly get a little bit of enhanced stability when you have uh, two options instead of one for your your blade placement. So, uh, as Jackie was saying, you have you know, certain moves are going to require an inside edge, certain moves are going to require an outside edge. So you have a little wider flexibility than you would with a single blade. So the pressure uh, melting was a popular theory for how you might actually get the ice to be slippery, but that's been somewhat debunked. So you could actually get those thin blades to start slightly warm the ice and reduce the uh, friction coefficient and actually help you go a little bit faster mm. i think the ideal ice temperature is around minus five and a half or so degrees celsius which is what 22 or so degrees fahrenheit and you, you so you're not going to be able to warm it quite up to uh, pure melting although the surface is a little different from the bulk so you can get a little bit of melting right at the very very surface layer and that thin blade, whenever you're on just one, one or the other, can actually enhance that melting process. So you could actually get a little bit more lubrication and a little bit more speed.
1: So Jackie, wait, speak to that for one second. From a skater standpoint, is it better to have, what what's better, like softer ice, harder ice? What's faster? Do you want faster ice? So what do you? What's the perfect ice conditions? You can't have you're it soft
0: for landing, are
1: you? I would like. <laughs> yeah, can you, can you get rubber ice yeah. so that when you fall, <laughs> one place.
2: For for a lot of figure skaters, they love the soft. Softer ice because you the softer ice allows your edge to to really carve into the ice. ice. So the harder the, the ice there is, the harder your edge it, it's it is going to be for your edge to actually make the curves that you want to make. Oh. And so harder ice actually gets to be a bit more slippery.
0: So the softer ice allows more control.
2: Yeah, it's a little bit more control. Yeah.
0: Oh, so yeah. professor, is is there a sweet spot? Because we always find that in in, in sports there's this inext- inextricable part of uh, being a sweet spot on the blade? And if there is, whereabouts is it, and how does a performer get to utilize it?
3: So, I mean, just to pick up quickly on, on Jackie's point, the the added slipperiness is going to come when you're trying to push outward, like when you're trying to make a turn. So when the ice is harder and you don't quite get that uh that melted layer that you want right next to the blade, uh, you can actually, you know, it can enhance a fall. You're not going to grip it, as he was saying. If you're going straight on the ice and you're looking to have a slight reduction in the coefficient of friction associated with the, the blade and the ice, if you get a little bit of warming and you kind of soften that ice slightly, you can actually lower that coefficient a little bit and help you go faster in a straight line. But but definitely when you're when you're trying to head out on a turn and you're trying to get that nice centripetal force inward to help you keep moving in a circular path, you definitely like that softer ice to be able to kind of cut into it and kind of hold you there a little bit better than you would if the ice was a lot harder and you don't have that give in it.
1: Where is the sweet spot on that blade uh, and what and what does it do? I mean, either one of you can answer that. Jackie, you mm-hmm. skate. So what? what's the sweet spot about and what and why would you even want it or need it? So the
2: sweet spot in – Kind of like in a lot of other sports, it's it's the ball of your foot, and and that's there there there's what I was talking about the, earlier, the rocker, right? The 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 rocker is basically this curve of your blade, mm-hmm. and and there is this part in the blade where literally, if you stand on it the right way, your toe pick, which is in the front. Yep. is elevated the back of the which is a heel is also elevated so you're you're not like the the blade is not flat to the ice the blade has a curvature to it and so that's where the rocker is where you want to be when you're spinning because that that Less keeps surface. you yeah, that right. keeps you in, in contact with the ice right, exactly right. and and the, the thing about spinning is um what you don't see is it's literally just. Circles that you're making around the eyes. It's not that you're like rotating
1: on one point. You're you're rotating in very very small circles Wait now speak to that because I watched this um, I I don't know when it was maybe it was the last Olympics or it might have been world championships that were on NBC Okay, so the young lady was doing the super fast spin at the end but the announcer I remember distinctly saying uh-oh, uh-oh. Traveling. She did a little traveling there, <laughs> as you can see. And she talked about the circles moving across. And it moved like, I don't know, an inch and a half, <laughs> two inches. I'm like, really, lady? Are the judges that brutal? Yeah, I'm like, is that a big, right, really, that's a big problem. But anyway, what is that? Is that, is that you have to be in one, you got to stay in that place? If,
2: if you want to get. If you want to get the best marks on an element, yes, mm-hmm. it's 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 about speed, it's about positioning, it's about centering, which is what centering. It's, that, it's what not about the
0: about. Russian judge. Then it's not the way it used to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, you watched figure skating because you wanted you to, want to see, see what the Russian how judge. low your mark was with the
1: Russian judge. And the Russian judge gives her oh a minus six. I <laughs>
0: didn't even know that was. See, uh, all of this, all of this has possible. changed, hasn't it? With there is now a different system, system yeah. of of marking and judging and yeah. it seems an awfully complex procedure because I just thought I can cope with six <sighs> less In my, yeah. with my math I'm good with that now you can get marks up to over 130 and wherever. Yeah and, and that has a lot to
2: do with uh, figure skating trying to make itself more objective mm-hmm. and, and so half of the mark now is much more on, along the lines of like here are the elements that were done. What here are the base values of the elements that were done. This is how well it was done. That's how you get to a number. Cause when you when you go back to the nineties and before and you had the 6.0 system. You literally had, you know, the Russian judge right. giving 5.5. Everybody 5. knows right. the Russian yeah. judge.
1: And the Russian judge <laughs> gives, oh, what is that on the card? Capitalist pig. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a score. Anyway. <laughs> and, you, and you and you wonder what those marks mean. Right. And now
2: at least there is some sort
1: of accountability. Well, quantified them. Yeah, exactly. like there's a, there's a, but uh, speaking of, back to the traveling, very quickly, yeah, yeah. Eric, does that come from leaning one way or the other? Or like, or what creates that little bit of traveling when you're in the process of that spin from a physics standpoint?
3: So when you enter the spin, you're obviously coming at it from a certain direction. And whenever you enter that spin, you are going to have a slight drift unless you can arrest it somehow right on that first turn. It's very difficult to maintain an exact spot on the ice whenever you're doing that spin because you have to enter the, the spin with some kind of velocity in some direction. So when you start the spin, you may have a very slight drift involved uh, unless you can do a lean or some type of a little cut on that first part of it just to hold yourself steady at the beginning. But you got to have a little bit of a, of a circle down there to help give you that, you know, that inward push. <laughs> but once you get started on that spin, you can make that circle pretty small.
0: That comes wow. back to your core strength. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Does. Absolutely. So uh, uh, to, to classic example. Yes, core strength. Everybody uh, breathe in. <laughs> uh, Hold my breath for the rest of the show now. Right. Core Before strength. we get to a break, Jackie, how much more can we see from the performers in terms of so we've got to a quad now, yep. which was, I don't know, 20, 30 years unthinkable. Can we go further?
2: I think so. I think so i Ooh. i don't I don't know when that's going to be uh, you know you've got coaches thinking that there's you know right now the quad Lutz is the hardest jump All right. and there's uh, one other quad which is the quad axle which adds a half rotation so it's four and a half rotations that's why the axle is more uh, more difficult than the rest of it because it's an extra half rotation because you're taking off forwards and landing backwards ah. so um, there are coaches out there who think that a quad axle. Will be landed sometime in the next couple of years or so. There, are, you know, there are uh, there are skaters who are actually play trying them. You know, they're not mm. they're not actually training them seriously, but um, yeah, it's that's possible. You know, whether or not a quintuple jump is going to be around in the next ten years, we'll see. It depends. It really a lot of it depends on how how much people are willing to push themselves, how training methods change. All right,
0: all professor. That. How long, how much air time, hang time, call it what you may, will a quintuplet? A
3: quintuple. Quintuple take.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's it's probably going to take longer than it takes me to say it or not. I don't know.
3: So remember, if you could jump in the air and stay in the air for one second, you're going to have to elevate your center mass about four feet. Now, that is better than even some NBA players can do. You have to jump 11 miles an hour off the ice and you need to stay in the air for a full second. And you're really, the, the, the laws of physics are constraining what can happen here. So you have to get four feet in the air and you're looking at you know five rotations during that second. That is just about the limit of what a human can do right now.
0: Can we up the speed? And would that have any benefit or just that's me in the front row of the audience?
3: Up? What do you mean up the speed?
0: Uh, on on the ice.
1: <laughs> in other words, if you go faster and get into the speed? and get into the jump and the rotation faster, will that allow you to get to the fifth rotation?
3: Well, it, it's kind of like this, uh, you know, trade off you have when you do a long jump. I mean, you want to get a lot of speed uh, whenever you're taking off for the jump, but you also need a good bounce in the air to go high because you need to stay in the air a long time the same thing with the, the skate you, you you can go fast into the turn into the spin but you're going to sacrifice a little bit if you're going too fast because you have to have that that hard jump off the ice that gives you that vertical force upward so that you can have that nice vertical velocity into the air hmm. you have you have to stay in the air at least a second turning four times and you're going to be four feet jumping into the air i mean this is going to take incredible athleticism Core strength, you know, uh, you know, just as, as strong as you could make it. And uh, you're going to have, for five rotations, I think we're way off for that one.
1: <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I'll nice. sell you, Doc. I'll sell yeah, you. Yeah, so, right,
3: while... You'll all see. But what? you got to get out <laughs> of the chair, Chuck. You can't <laughs> stand <in> the chair.
0: <laughs> we are going to take a break, and when we come back, Chuck will have had six rotations. That is guaranteed, right? Staying with us, The Good Professor, and, of course, Jackie Wong. But to join us will be former U.S. champion and Olympic medalist Sasha Cohen. Absolutely. Playing with science is still here, and we're back with those wonderful people after this break.
1: Do you want to set up your child for success? IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And Star Talk Radio listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com/starttalk. Visit IXL.com/starttalk to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price.
0: Welcome back. I'm Gary O'Reilly. And I'm still Chuck Nice. And this is Still Playing With Science. We're here in the studio with figure skating analyst Jackie Wong, who has been fabulous with us, and his host of podcast called Ice Talk. Please go and check that out and joining us via Skype. We are thrilled. We are thrilled, aren't we? Absolutely. We are absolutely thrilled to have Sasha Cohen, 2006 silver Olympic medalist, three-time world championship medalist. The list goes on and on and on. And Chuck, yeah? I do believe... This lady was involved in the Blades of Glory movie.
1: Oh,
0: it used to make you even more jealous!
1: Yes, exactly, because you know that's like that would have been my dream to be in Blades of Glory. Anything where I can wear tights and skates. Mm-hmm. So welcome to the show. You
0: may want to leave now.
4: Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's a pleasure yeah. to be on.
0: It's a pleasure for us to have you here. So, okay, you started off as a gymnast as a in an early age, and then graduated into figure skating the gymnastics background that must have been such a help for you
4: it was um i actually was a bit of a terror i destroyed the house so my parents were trying to figure out a way to to use up my boundless energy and that was that took the form in three hours of gymnastics a day which ended up giving me a chance to develop my coordination and strength and then by the time i started skating i kind of already had some natural athletic ability but um
1: Ice is still slippery. It's a different. It certainly is. Yeah. Yeah, Hey, you know, um, uh, I think, Eric, you have a question for Sasha. Isn't that right?
3: Um, Yeah, I've actually got a couple. But let me start with this one. Um, So uh, when we do a little uh, karate or martial arts, uh, we're taught when we're doing spins to try to have a focal point. And I'm just wondering, when you're spinning on the ice so much, uh, do you do any kind of training to get you to the point where you can spin like that in an effective way without getting dizzy? Or uh, are you, Do you have a focal point that you're checking out when you're in a spin, or is there a certain technique to help you with that?
4: So the, the secret is, which is very different than dance, which um, you spot your head with every turn in order to not get dizzy, uh, with uh-huh. figure skating, you have to stay centered. If you stay within one foot, your patterns tracing over and over, you will miraculously be able to come out and not be dizzy. But if you start traveling, which is um, you know points off and not the ideal way to go in in a competitive figure skating spin, you'll get very dizzy. And I think it's something to do with the inner ear and losing your um, your kind. Of vertical alignment within space. And that's when you completely lose it and would come out and see stars and be very dizzy. But if you stay in one spot, you can come out and be fine as if nothing ever happened.
3: Wow. So you really, you really need to keep the vertical drift to a, to a minimum whenever you're doing that, I guess.
4: Within inches is, you know, as soon as you start to travel two feet or three feet, you come out of it and you're, you're very disoriented.
3: Yeah. so uh, the horizontal drift is, is minimized, your vertical drift is minimized. so your, your head's pretty much staying in the same spot. it's just spinning, I guess. Well, let, let me ask you this question about stretching because um, you, you're, you're you're famous for you know doing these splits on the ice, these vertical splits where you know one leg's way up in the air and you can do spins and like that. Uh, do skaters engage in any kind of sophisticated stretching? Uh, routines whenever they're training? I mean, do you use uh, equipment for this or is it just kind of a standard get on the mat and make sure you can do a split?
4: (laughs) So I was fortunate to start with a core of gymnastics, Uh, but then it's, it's a, stretching is a daily habit. It's, um, it's a commitment and it's a discipline. So at night I would take a bath and then if I wanted to watch TV, I would be sitting in the splits. And the discipline of, of, of stretching, of repeating daily is how you, you cultivate that kind of flexibility. And then you work on the strength component to be able to hold those kind of flexible positions in a spiral when you're out in the ice um, and don't have the floor to support you. Uh, so I would say I would maybe sometimes use a TheraBand to, to stretch out my hamstrings okay. um, or IT band, But generally, I think I'm flexible enough that I can kind of just grab onto my calf and pull it close to my face uh, if I'm on my back. But I think if you're
1: a beginner, uh, yeah. the See, the, you, are such, you are such a show-off, Sasha. No, I've just spent <laughs> way too long stretching. I
4: mean, imagine everything else I could have done with my life if I wasn't sitting in the splits for half of it.
0: <laughs> I'd not to touch my toes if I'd bend, if I'd bend my knees. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What is where you are now? Hey, listen. uh, We've got to say goodbye to the good professor because he is a man in demand. He has a lecture to attend and there are eager students awaiting him. So, uh, Professor, thank you so much for your time. Um, And we look forward to to your company soon. Pleasure is ours, as always. We'll see you soon, Eric. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. So, we have Sasha here, Jackie. What was her trademark? What was her unique point in her performance that everyone just went oh wow or people would cram through the doors to see every time she performed
2: well it was a good segue because her trademark really was her flexibility and probably still is her flexibility when she's on the ice um and and so much of sasha cohen's uh Appeal was the the way that she presented herself in you know in the music in the choreography And then the the jumps really were in a lot of ways secondary for her Performances like mm. they were they were just seamlessly kind of integrated within her program and and
1: that's that's why people loved her so much as And she- Sasha we're not talking about you like you're not here uh, It's just <laughs> it's just that uh, it, We don't we don't want you to have to toot your own horn, but you know you are a fan favorite. It seems as though um, you're known and people love your performances, your routines, your programs. Uh, Does that give you a bit of an advantage uh, during a competition, knowing that you're so beloved by the audiences that are watching?
4: I think that's very personal for every athlete. I think ultimately on a personal level of approval and connection to an audience it's a wonderful feeling to have to have cultivated a relationship with the audience over your decade competing in the sport and you know some people thrive uh in that position some people thrive as the underdog and when no one knows them um but I know that you know when I came back in 2010 for for the national championships just knowing that I had been here and been competing at this event for probably the last 15 years, um, it's just, it's, it becomes home to you. And the people have seen you grow up and, and seen you skate since you were 12 years old. And, and that's a wonderful connection to have when you, you've grown up with your audience. Uh, so it's something that I very much cherished.
0: I mean, I, just to endorse what Chuck was saying, you have been inducted into the Hall of Fame, uh, which was 2016, I believe. So congratulations to that. A lot of people would oh, yeah. look at your performances and say they were effortless. How did you and how much effort did you put in to achieving effortless on the ice?
1: And does that ever hurt you? Because, you know, when you make something look super easy, when you make it look like you're not put like you're, it's a day in a walk in the park. Couldn't that kind of, I don't know, change the psychology of the way the judges are looking at you? Kind of like, uh, you know, uh, like, uh, yeah, she, she's not really, you know, she's not really putting that much into it because honestly, that's how easy you make it look.
4: Well, I appreciate that. But I think this is something that applies to the whole sport of figure skating. It's our job to make it look easy. We're not supposed to be breathing heavy and struggling and grimacing. Like This isn't football. Um, and so we have to make it look easy. And when I go back and watch videos, I'm like, oh, wow, like it just seems so effortless. And now when I go back and I, you know, try to skate for a few minutes, I'm bent over doubled over and like barely breathing. Everything is sore. My calves are cramping up. Um, but I think skating is like an art as well as a sport like ballet. And so the beauty is, um, kind of this exterior shell for, for the deep athleticism that we cultivate underneath that. And it's, uh, it's part of the figure skaters job to make it look easy. You know, I think there's not many people that get to a really high level that, that make you think, wow, like so they're just really struggling.
0: If you can, at the heights of your performances, what kind of routine, daily routine, would you go through from start of your day to you know getting out of bed to going back to bed? What would your day encompass to make you a top elite athlete?
4: So my day would start, you know, I'd get up around six thirty. I would make some coffee and then tea, and then I'd get right on a Pilates mat. I had a Pilates mat in my kitchen, and I'd spend about thirty minutes on a foam roller, stretching, doing uh, ten minutes of core work and and ab work and some stretching just to kind of get the body warm because when you wake up in the morning, everything is incredibly painful and stiff, you know, from five hours of training the day before and the day before in the last 15 years and that, yep. that really, that builds up. And then I would go to the rink and uh, then I would warm up again with a 20 minute run and you just really want to be so supple, so warm, you're, you're running, you're sweating and, and then you start to cultivate coordination and quickness and that, that quick twitch muscle fiber uh, with doing jumps off the ice and really quick drills, see how fast you can move your feet. Um, and then it would be the start of, of the skating day, which would again start with 30 minutes of edge work and really feeling your feet and your blade like exactly where it was on the ice and your, your shoulders and hips over your feet. Um, and then maybe an hour later, you would start jumping and spinning and working on the choreography because the body is really a finely tuned machine and it doesn't just turn on. It it takes, you know, it takes a couple hours to really kind of cultivate to where you're able to do um, a peak performance. And I think that's part of the reason why we've kind of trained ourselves to compete at night, which is, you know, for viewership, when all the events are, your body's the most awake, right. um, you've kind of worked through all the morning stiffness, uh, and that's when you're, you're kind of in, in peak capacity.
1: That's how funny. You, that's that's, that's my- like singers. Yeah, singers sing at night because you know you need the day to warm your voice up and your vocal cords. To so that point, that's really wild. Yeah, does that it,
4: sure in the major your voice sounds like in the morning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have half have a voice in the morning. <laughs> Take uh, some time. The body, right. body, uh, uh, completely the same.
0: I have a love song I'd like to sing. Yeah, okay. Oh dear. <laughs> no more Barry White, please. You're barred from Barry White. <laughs> Wait a minute. Um, did, did well, you- in the big competitions, just before we get to to Jackie, in the big competitions were they always at night or did you find yourself having to perform your programs during the afternoon and therefore you're out of sync with the whole buildup that you've had?
4: Well, there's certainly um, an element of being out of sync just from jet lag and time yeah. zone difference. Um, mm. So you try to get there in advance and that switch as fast as you can. Um, but usually always the final rounds will always be at night and, um, What can really mess you up, though, is the qualifying rounds, like at a world championship, Um, and you might have to do your full long program at 8 in the morning, and and that's very difficult for the body, so you would get yourself up at 4 a.m. and really try to work into it, warm everything up, go to your practice, Um, because the body, again, just takes so much time to get amped and ready to peak.
1: Wow. Wow. So, Jackie, you had a question. Please. I did. Well, for, first of all, the well, the
2: thing about the Olympics this year is actually that it, the skaters are going to be mostly competing in the morning. So that that's going to be an interesting one. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot based on the fact that, uh, you know, yes. in, NBC wants primetime coverage, and that's the agreement. Um, So we'll see how that affects the skaters. But, Sasha, I wanted to go back to something we talked about here on on the air um, earlier in the show, which was quads. And, and, um, you know, we talk about the men doing a lot of quads. You... I think there's a certain amount of athleticism that we don't credit you with, but at one point in your career, you were training quads, and there's a very skating-famous video of you uh, at Skate America 2002, I think, 2003, 2001, one of those, um, doing and landing a quadruple Sao Cow. And I wanted to ask you, as a skater who has done quads and trained quads, what that process was like, because I certainly can't uh, attest to training quads.
4: It's a different paradigm, and I think especially for a woman, you know, our body does not rotate as fast as the men do, and, and it, it was such a different paradigm from a triple to a quad, and for me, you know, it was really only a possibility with my sow cow, because on the takeoff, I, I had an edge that I could just really whip, and, and as I was going up into the air, I could start to get incredible uh, torque uh, in order to be able to complete four rotations, um, but what's scary about, you know, a quad is you have to go in with more speed. Um, you have to you kind of, it's like a, a bow that you're pulling back. And so you kind of have to pull a little further to get up high, higher and, and everything is not set completely straight and right. And you launch with that much torque and velocity and it's wrong when you fall, when you go down, it can, it can end really badly. Um, and that's something that you know is mitigated to a certain extent in a triple and even more so in a double you've got time to correct when you're rotating um, more slowly and so with a quad it it just you know I trained with a harness and to kind of get comfortable launching my full athletic torque behind it because there's like there's a safety element again we we take Mm. off that I took off backwards um, from my inside edge of my left foot and if I was my shoulders were dropped like two millimeters to the right, I could end up putting a lot of torque into it and kind of getting pretty crooked in the air. And then I would go down and just kind of ruin my hip. Wow. Um, so so there's, there's that balance that you have to take into account. Um, everything has to just be that much more precise when you're putting – another layer of torque into it. Well, I was
1: going, going to ask to science. Yes. I yes. was about to ask you, yeah. do you, are you cognizant of the physics while you are training and performing? And the answer clearly is yes.
4: Yeah. yeah I mean, I think at a, a kinesthetic level, you feel it, you're so in tune with your body as an athlete. It is your medium. It is something that you develop for 20 years in different capacities. Um, so you're just very aware. And, and then there, you know, there's a level of awareness you develop when you're, you're learning a quad and how different, you know, it it takes a very different level of awareness of your body and messaging to your specific, you know, your arms, your legs of what needs to be done in order to get up, to get around four times and to land. Um, and so I think, yes, from, from that level, um, from a kinesthetic level, I'm, I'm aware of the physics, but from, from the angles, the torque, the scientific laws, um, You know, you you might have to fill in, you know, do the backfill
0: from there. Get the professor on it. Exactly. Sasha, thank you. Wow, nice. Yeah, Yeah, So great to talk to you. To talk to you and for you to share your time with us. Uh, I'm sure our listeners are thrilled, just as Chuck and I are. Um, So thank you very much for being one of our guests. Likewise,
4: it was a pleasure. Thank you again.
0: Thank you. And thank you to jackie yeah yeah very cool man when you're Thank off you. to south korea you will be at the winter olympics I sure will it's gonna you'll be p- tweeting like a man <laughs> <frenzy. laughs> tweeting typing on um, all kinds of things yes well safe travels and have a great trip thanks for having me you're welcome uh well that's our show that is on it. figure skating right. if you weren't really into figure skating before hopefully now what we've done is roll back the curtain to allow you to good look at what's going on and your interest is piqued because (laughs) Chuck and I, although we don't look great in lacquer or sequins, um, we may just take to the ice and skate. What do you think? Yeah, we're off right now to go practice our doubles program. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We'll do that. Um, male ice dancing. It's a thing. Isn't it? I just made it that. Okay. I'm a bit scarred now. Right, that's it from us. Blades (laughs) of glory, not blades of glory. (laughs) Isn't it just? Right, so that's it from with Science. Hope you've enjoyed it. We will be back with a new episode very, very soon.
4: Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley.